Good evening. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this evening, Wednesday night, Bible study, and uh, we have been looking at Psalm, the top 150. How many has learned some things that you didn't know? I have. I really, I really have, and uh, I believe that's the way it is with, uh, with us, and we're getting God's Word, even though we've been serving the Lord a long time. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're a minister, a laity, or wh- whoever you might be, and whatever you might do in the church, there's always something fresh from God's Word. It is truly fresh bread, it's fresh manna, and it feeds our soul. And so tonight, we're going to close out this series with book number five of the Psalms, And uh, I want to, first of all, just do a real quick glance and then do some fun facts about the Bible and Psalms. Over the last uh, four Wednesday evenings, we've discovered that the Psalms are really five books in one. Five books in one. It has been pointed out that the book of Psalms is the book of human emotions in the form of songs. And, you know, they've often said many times that nothing will sometimes get a hold of a person or move a person, nothing quite like music or a song that will do that. And I can't imagine now the Hebrew melody that uh, the psalmist, the different writers, were, was using and how it might have sounded. I've sung some of them in my mind thinking, well, that might, might be like that, might be like that, but probably nothing like what I was doing anyhow. But anyhow. Some fun facts about the Bible and Psalms. The Bible has a total of 1,189 chapters, and on an average, that means there's about 18 chapters per book in the whole Bible. Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter of the Bible with two verses, and Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible with 176 verses. This amazing book of Psalms records every one of man's emotions and experiences. Every experience of man's heart is reflected in Psalms. No matter what mood you may be in, maybe even right now, or early this morning, or last week, uh, some Psalm will reflect that mood. Psalm shows how the God follower should properly feel, think, and act when faced with life's varied experiences. Now, I'm not really sure how uh, the other teachers put that feel, think, and act, or if they said think, feel, and act, or had it all turned around differently, but I thought of it this way, and I related it to a physical situation. Whenever I broke my left hand, I felt that, and then I began to think what did you do? And that was pretty stupid, what I did, how I got in that boat. But nonetheless, uh, I won't go into full detail <laughs> other than I would say I wasn't going to fall in the water. And so I made my final dive to get in the boat and fell on both hands and broke a bone over here. So I felt it first, then I began to think, okay, what would you do? What do I need to do from here on? And then the action came in by me going to the uh, doctor, setting up an appointment, going to the doctor and having an x-ray. So I kind of think I might have this in order 
feel first because we are human beings and, and we feel lots of things. We feel when we're cold, when we're hot, when we have a headache, when we're feeling really good, when we're feeling bad. So we feel and we think, well, what's going on with me, you know, whatever. And then we begin to act and do something about it. And that happens even, I think, also in our uh, walk with God. Uh, now, those who have discovered the secret of perpetual emotion <laughs> certainly ought to get acquainted with the book of Psalms. For instance, if you are fearful, read Psalm 56 or Psalm 91 or the well-known Psalms 23. Uh, if you're discouraged, read Psalm 42. Uh, now you can probably find these on the internet. Uh, any of these places that you would like to read, if you're feeling a certain way, they've got charts, they've got things you can look up. Um, we won't have time, of course, to go through it too slow here where you can write all the psalms down that we're talking about. But if you happen to feel lonely, try Psalm 62 70, and 71. If you're oppressed with a sense of sinfulness, there's two marvelous psalms for you, Psalms 32, a great expression of confession and forgiveness, and of course Psalm 51, written after David's double sin of adultery and murder. If you're worried or anxious, I'd recommend Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. If you are angry, I know nobody here gets angry, <clears throat> uh, try Psalm 13 or Psalm 58. Of course, the Bible does say be angry and sin not, so make sure you just don't sin when you get angry. Uh, if you are resentful, uh, read Psalm 77 or Psalm 94. If you are happy, anybody happy? All right. Happiness is a choice. You know that, right? You choose to be happy. So get up in the morning and choose to be happy. But when you're happy and you want some words to express your happiness, try Psalm 66 and Psalm 92. If you feel forsaken, try Psalm 88. If you are grateful and you would like to say it, read Psalm 40. If you're doubtful, if your faith is beginning to fail, read Psalm 119. We could go on and on and on with the way we feel and then what we should think about that and then what we should do as far as action. And because the Psalm 150 have to do with all of life's experiences and how we as believers should feel, think, and act toward them. Now, there are 44 Psalms in book five, I'm covering book five tonight. Not all of book five, or we'd be here till after midnight. But uh, we're dealing with the 44 uh, Psalms in book five, and we may make reference to some of those, just like we did if you're feeling a certain way. We made reference to some of those. But I'm going to be keying in on Psalm 150. And uh, in these uh, 44 Psalms in book five, which begins at Psalm 107 through 150, 15 were written by David, one by Solomon, and 28 anonymous. As Pastor Mark started out this series on the top 150, he went to book number one and to Psalm one. Now, he talked about other things and gave a good introduction of uh, Psalms and has uh, five books in one and all of that and authors and whatnot. But he, he focused on Psalm one. Interesting to note that there are six verses in Psalm number one, and as I close out this series tonight with book five and go to Psalm 150 specifically, there are also six verses in the closing Psalm of the book of Psalms. Six verses to begin with, six verses at the end. Now, we know many, many years ago they didn't have the Bible or the Scriptures divided into chapters and verses that came later on. 
but it's just kind of interesting how that all came about and that there's six verses to begin with, six verses to end with. Psalm 146 through 150, each begin with praise ye the Lord, and each one ends with praise ye the Lord. The final Psalm 150 reveals music as our response to God's mighty deeds upon which all our activity and work are founded. Metaphorically, could Psalm 150 be inviting us to go about our work as if it were a kind of music? Psalms teaches us as we focus on God in every situation, we will not be a people of complaints, but we'll become a people characterized by praise. And when you look at Psalms 150, all of the Psalms that are there, it's all about praise. It's all about, yeah, recognizing what our feelings are and our emotions are and what we go through in life and family situations, occupation and enemies and all kinds of things. But it all comes right back to giving God due worship and due praise because He alone is worthy, amen, of all of our praise and all of our worship. I've said many times in preaching that there's only two times to praise the Lord and that's when you feel like it and when you don't. I know sometimes when we don't feel like it, we don't do it. But if you would just go ahead and praise the Lord, even when you don't feel like it, it would, you'd be amazed at what God can do in that moment, in that time when you're not feeling well or when you don't feel like praising God. You may be down about something. And, 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 and sometimes I just want to know if, if I'm strange or if we're all kind of in this together. How many of you have ever found it hard to pray? Oh, thank God. We're all in this together. We've got down on our knees or we've sat in a chair or whatever at home or at church, and maybe our heart was heavy about something, and we just couldn't seem to articulate to God the words in prayer and start bringing our petitions out before the Lord. And it was tough. It was just difficult. A lot of reasons for that. I know the enemy tries to always make our prayer life difficult and tries to hinder us in our prayer life or keep us from praying altogether. But here's what I would suggest to you. As I told the church this past Sunday, when you feel like it's hard to pray, think about S-T-P. Think about those letters. Don't think about the oil treatment that S-T-P is, but think about the letters where you could say, okay, for right now, God, I'm going to stop the praying, or at least trying to pray, and I'm going to start the praising. Because, you see, praising God can be so easy when we just stop and think about who he is, number one, not to mention what already he's done for us, what he's doing currently for us, and what he's going to do in the future. If you just start thinking about some things, I I guarantee you're going to find it real easy to start praising God and worshiping God because he's a great God and greatly to be praised. And, And, of course, it doesn't take anything away from the fact that we need to pray. We need to commune with God that way. But sometimes it's difficult. And in those times, sometimes I just have to stop the praying, put on a CD, and just start worshiping God all by myself. But really, I'm not by myself because the Holy Spirit's right there. And he'll lead you into praise. And before you know it, your praise will turn from praising into petitioning God. And really an anointed prayer life will begin to flow from you as God touches you. Praise is powerful. 
And praise will give God a place of habitation, amen? The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. So if you want to give God a place to live, if you want to give God a place to take up habitation, your life, then let your life be a life of praise unto God because he'll come and live in the midst of your praises. Praise is also the solution to pessimism. I don't think anybody here is a pessimist. I don't know, but I don't think. But if sometimes you struggle with pessimism, maybe this little illustration will be for you. It's a little comical, but anyhow, there were two farmers, and we need to laugh, by the way. Uh, it's like good medicine, right? Laughter is good medicine. So there's two farmers. One's an optimist, the other's a pessimist. The optimist would exclaim, wonderful sunshine. The pessimist would say, I'm afraid it's going to be so hot, it's going to burn up the crops. The optimist would say, fine rain. The pessimist would say, I'm afraid it's going to rain so much, we're going to have a flood. One day, the optimist said to the pessimist, have you seen my new bird dog? He's really something. The pessimist said, you mean that mutt pinned up behind your house? He doesn't look like much to me. The optimist said, why don't we go hunting? Let's go hunting. So they went out and shot some ducks. The ducks landed on the pond. The optimist ordered his dog to get the ducks. The dog obediently responded. But instead of swimming after the ducks, the dog ran on top of the water. He retrieved the ducks and he ran back on top of the water. The optimist was beaming as he said to the pessimist, now what do you think of that dog? The pessimist replied, can't swim, can he? <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you what. Oh, Lord, we need prayer for pessimism and deliverance from pessimism and and uh, praise our way out of pes pessimism. Have you ever been around anybody like that? This little gloomy, negative person who always sees the dark side of things. The glass is not half full, it's always half empty. If you propose a plan, the pessimist points out 47 reasons why it won't work. You know, it just won't work. Maybe you wrestle with that, have a tendency yourself in this area, Somewhere you picked up a negative, pessimistic mindset toward life. Many Christians even justify their negativity from the Bible. They focus on the deteriorating state of the world and the apostate condition of the church, and they seem to have a built-in knack for shooting down anybody who tries to do anything to rectify the situations that are around us and that they're so negative about. So what is the answer for this problem of negativity? Well... A man by the name of Norman Vincent Peale uh, says, the power of positive thinking is the answer. But at the risk of being labeled a negative pessimist, I must point out that there's a fatal flaw in Peale's approach. It leaves God out. The power of positive thinking is a man-centered mental process that works for anyone from an atheist to a Zen Buddhist. Clearly, a humanistic approach which encourages us to look on the bright side is not adequate in and of itself.
There's more. You see, the biblical solution to the problem of pessimism and negative thinking is to be God-centered in our thinking. To be God-centered does not mean we deny problems or put on rose-colored glasses, but it does mean that we view problems from God's perspective, not ours. And then as we focus on God in every situation, we will become people characterized by praise. Praise is the solution for pessimism. The priority of praise, as you come to the end of the Psalms, God doesn't want you to miss the priority of praise. Each of the last five Psalms, 146 through 150, begins and ends with the Hebrew word hallelujah, or that's what we've made it to be. It's halal, and then the word Hebrew yah, Y-A-H. We call them compound words, literally halal, is an exhortation to praise someone or something. The old English translation of praise ye is therefore accurate. Yah is a version of the Hebrew consonants Y-H-W-H. They didn't use uh, vowels, they used consonants. And a long, long time ago, and even still today, uh, they feel that the name of God is so sacred that if you find someone that is uh, uh, Jewish, that typically, not a Messianic Jew, but a, 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 an Orthodox Jew, if they would spell, like I would spell God, G-O-D, capital G, they would spell it capital G, and then a dash, and then the D. They leave out the, the vowel. And, um, and so this is, this is very appropriate when we think about halal, yah, hallelujah, or Y-H-W-H, we would say it this way, Yahweh. That's what, that's what it would be pronounced, Yahweh. Um, it's the English transliteration of the covenant name of Israel's God. Praise is the theme of each of these psalms. It is like a mounting crescendo at the climax of a great symphony when we get into this uh, latter part, Psalms 146 through Psalms 150. The theme of praise has dominated all the Psalms, but as the end approaches, the conductor brings in each section of the orchestra in one grand finale of praise. Psalm 150 is the climax where we are exhorted 13 times in six short verses to praise the Lord. And I would say if we are admonished that many times in six short verses, that praise must be pretty important. That God looks at praise as being very, very important. That he is God and we are not. And we, that he has created, he has placed within our hearts a desire to worship and praise someone or something. And so aren't you glad that your praise, that that desire God created within humanity is not a perverted thing, but it is a true, heartfelt worship and praise unto the God who's worthy, who has created us. Aren't you thankful that you're not out there praising a tree, worshiping a tree? Well, you know, people do. Yeah, New Agers do that. I was holding a tent revival here in Springfield uh, some years back, and and uh, preaching away under this tent, and, 
And uh, all of a sudden, there was two ladies walking by, and they were poking and making fun of us Christians under that tent, having service. And I was preaching my heart out, you know. And I look over there at them, and I, when I looked, I think the other people decided they'd look too. Because we can all get distracted in church at the same time if you didn't know that. We can't. Anyhow, they looked over, and, and these ladies had their hands up on the tree, just rubbing on the tree. Just rubbing and looking up at the tree and kind of embracing the tree. They were just not ashamed to let us know that they're part of the first church of the tree huggers. I'm thinking, boy, what's that tree going to do for you? You might get splinters in your hand if you rub the bark too long, you know. But God is the one, the creator, who created the tree. So we're supposed to worship the creator, not the creation. Amen. So, I think it's pretty important, 13 times in six short verses. Um, it's also telling us that God's people should be caught up with praising him. I wonder how many of us could honestly say praising God characterizes my life. Think about that in your own life. To the extent that we cannot say that that reflects to the extent which we are not God-centered. We're not to be praise-centered but God-centered. In other words, I don't praise my praise. I praise the God of my praise. You know, so we're, we're to be God-centered and to be a person of praise unto God. As God's people, we should be focused on him in every situation, and therefore we should be people of praise. Psalm 150 gives us four things that we're going to look at. It gives us the where, the why, the how, and the who of praise in Psalm 150. And just so we're clear at the outset, when we're talking about praising God, we're not talking about repeating praise the Lord over and over and over. But we're talking about thinking and or speaking well of God's perfect attributes or great acts. Praise can be expressed through singing. We do that. Uh, music, including clapping of our hands, dancing, lifting our hands, kneeling, lying prostrate before God through testimony, thanksgiving, prayer, sacrificial service, and giving. All of those different things in different ways are ways in which we can praise the Lord. If we want to praise uh, to characterize our lives, the psalmist would have us to understand, number one, the where of praise. And that's just simply everywhere. Psalm 150, verse 1, praise ye the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, talking about where we're to praise God, in his sanctuary, and praise him in the firmament of his power. God's sanctuary does refer to the place of worship on earth where God's people gather, whether it be the tent of meeting or the tabernacle in the wilderness or later on a temple where people would gather. In the psalmist's day, this was the temple in Jerusalem. In ours, it is the church. We are the church, but this building is called a church as well, but the building is a place where the church comes together on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night to praise and honor the King of glory. And what's so neat about it, aren't you glad we are the church? Because if we weren't the church, if God hadn't said, okay, you're the church, you're the temple of the Holy Ghost, I live in you. I don't live in the concrete walls, but I live in you. 
if it wasn't that way, then when we leave this building tonight, we would not have God with us. But we have God with us everywhere we go because wherever the church goes, God is there. Wherever I eat supper, God is there in my life because I'm part of the church. And you're part of the church. We're members in particular. So when you go south and I go north and you go east and somebody else goes west, the church is just going out in all those different directions. And we remain the church all week long, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're members of Calvary Church in particular here on earth. And then the church comes back together on that Sunday morning or that Wednesday night, and oh, how wonderful it is when the body of Christ comes together and we begin to enter into praise and worship together and we clap our hands together and we sing the same song together. One person's not singing Amazing Grace while the other person's singing Love Lifted Me. You know, that would be a little confusing. But we all are on the same page and we praise and worship the same God. Amen. Amen. Now, that word sanctuary relates especially to the corporate gathering of God's people. It means that the praise of God should be our main business when we gather as the church. We gather primarily to meet with God, to corporately offer praise to Him. As Psalm 100 verse 4 says, enter His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Amen. And then the firmament of, of uh, his power, it said in verse 1, where we're to praise God, the firmament of his power, or mighty expanse, refers to the heavens. And is the call of all the heavenly hosts to praise God. Thus the psalmist is saying, praise God everywhere. Praise him on the earth. Praise him in the heavens. Derek Kinder writes, God's glory fills the whole universe. His praise must do no less. Our corporate worship will be enhanced if each member has been praising God whenever or wherever we're at throughout the week. In other words, praise is just not about when we get together on Sunday morning, but it's about what we're doing all week long, that you're praising him all week long. And then when you come together for church on Sunday morning, as the old timers used to say in church, no preacher, no song director has to pump or prime you to get you to praise God. Because all week long you've been praising him and magnifying him and listening to songs of praise. And just when you come to the house of God, it's just so easy and so natural and it's ready to flow from the time that they begin to play the music and start the first song until the last song is sung. It's so easy to enter in and worship God together, isn't it? Just so easy when you've been praising God all week long. Now, if you're like that pessimist, oh boy, it's a bad day today. Stock market's going to crash today. I know it's, it's been up here, way up here, but it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to bottom out. Yeah, I, I know the other day I saw gas was $2.60 a gallon, but uh, next week it's going to be $3.60 a gallon. You know, if all you're doing all week long is, woe is me, and woe is the world, and woe is my family, and, and my horse's name is woe is me. You know, that's in the Bible. Yeah, Isaiah gives us the name of his horse because he said, woe is me. For I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
So I just thought you'd like to know that's in the Bible. <laughs> but you can see the difference, you know, if we're optimistic instead of pessimistic, if we're praising God all week long instead of grumbling all week long, all week long, then when we come together to church, it's time to celebrate. Folks, it's time to have a Holy Ghost party when we come to God's house and start praising and worshiping God. And it's setting the stage for the man or woman of God to stand in the pulpit and break forth the bread of life under the, under the church and bring an uh, important uh, a message to the hearts of the people where, whereby we can be challenged and changed forever. That's what it's all about. And then the altar service, that's the pinnacle of everything. It leads up to that. What then are you going to do with the message the pastor or the evangelist just preached? Is there an area in your life where you need to respond to something there? What are you going to do with Jesus? And they give you the opportunity to come to the altar to have prayer. Amen. Well, if we want praise to characterize our lives, the psalmist also, number two, would have us to understand the why of praise. We talked about the where, now we talk about the why of praise, or every act and attribute of God. Psalm 150, verse 2, praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Why should we praise God? Because of what he has done, his mighty deeds, and because of who he is, his excellent greatness. We should praise God for his mighty deeds. Think your way through the Psalms, and you'll be reminded of some of the great things God has done. In Psalm 139, he formed you while you were in the womb and ordained all the days of your life. In Psalm 22, he sent the Messiah to die for our sins. Psalm 23 shows us his providing for our every need as a good shepherd. In Psalm 32, tells of the forgiveness of sin which God gives to the repentant sinner. Psalm 57 describes how God is sufficient in a trial, in our times of trial. In Psalm 71, teaches us God's grace for old age. Psalm 119 extols God's word, which he has graciously given to guide us. Truly, God has done mighty deeds, and that's just some of the things and some of the reasons why we should praise God. Think of how he has dealt with you. He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. He sought you when you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. And when you were hostile toward him, he loved you before you ever first loved him. He caused you to be born again to a living hope. He has dealt graciously and patiently with you to lead you to the place where you are today. And he, I love this scripture, and he who has begun a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1 verse 6. Praise God for his mighty deeds. Praise God for his mighty deeds. Amen. We should praise God for his excellent greatness, as it also says. Apart from his mighty deeds, God is worthy of praise simply for who he is. He is perfect, lacking nothing. You realize we serve a God that doesn't need a thing? I am needy, you are needy, but he is not. He doesn't need a thing. He doesn't even need me, and he doesn't need you. But here's the wonderful and lovely thing about it. He wants you. 
and he wants me, but he doesn't need me. He's got two-thirds of the angels that were left in heaven to worship him day and night. He's got the higher angels such as the seraphims and the cherubims to worship him around the throne day and night. And people that served him and gone on before us, they're, they're worshiping and praising God and enjoying heaven and the wonderful things God has prepared for those that love him. But God is perfect, and he lacks nothing. He is the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, 1 Timothy 1.17. The blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, 1 Timothy 6.16. Revelation 4.11 Worthy are you, O Lord, and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. You were created, or you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. We praise God according to his excellent greatness. If we would be people of praise, we must understand the where of praise as we've talked and that God is to be praised in all of heaven and earth. We must understand the why of praise, that God is to be praised for his mighty acts and his uh, perfect attributes, but also we must understand the how of praise, and that is with everything you've got. Look at Psalm 153 through 5. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon loud cymbals. Praise him upon high-sounding cymbals. The how of praise with everything you've got. The sense of these verses is pull out the stops and give it everything you've got. Use your breath to blow the trumpet. Use your fingers to play the harp and the lyre. Use your whole hand to hit the tambourine or the timbrel, as it's called here. Move your whole body in the dance. There are stringed instruments and wind instruments and percussion instruments, verses 4 through 5. It sounds more like a Disneyland parade than a Sunday morning worship service. At least that's the way it is for some churches. I'm thankful that at Calvary it's not that way. Whether you're here or whether you're at the other campus, Jefferson, it's a, it's a time to come together and really enter in and praise God and magnify God with all we've got. Didn't he give us everything he had? 2000, he didn't hold anything back when he went to the cross. We should hold nothing back when we come together to praise God and magnify the Lord because we always need to also keep in mind that we are in the last days. And the coming of the Lord is drawing nearer and nearer. And when we come together, say this Sunday, the Lord delays his coming and we're together here or Jefferson this coming Sunday, do you realize this could be the last Sunday we have to worship God together in our, at our campuses, in our church at Calvary, because the trump of God could sound Sunday night or, or Monday morning or Monday afternoon, at least down here on earth as we are in this mortal body right now. It could be the last time. But don't be dismayed, because when we rise in the rapture, the catching away of the bride of Christ, we're going to stand on streets of gold, and we're going to want to see Jesus most of all when we get to heaven, amen? And we're going to bow down at his feet, we're going to cast our crowns at his feet, give one last offering of worship to him, and we're going to praise him and worship him and magnify him, and we'll never have to be separated ever again throughout all of eternity. Hallelujah. So we're just in choir rehearsal right now. We're just practicing right now for what's going to come when we get to heaven and when we see Jesus face to face.
<laughs> Sounds like a Disneyland parade. Praising him with all you've got. The sense is just to pull out all the stops. Give it everything you've got. Um, there may be some people here that's been having to praise God through some physical pain. But at least you're not giving up and throwing in the towel and saying, God, I can't do this anymore. You're praising God through the pain. I've had pain for the last five years that won't go away, comes and goes some, but it's mostly there all the time. But I'm praising God through the pain. And I know the God that has healed me before is able to heal me again. The God that did it for you before has not changed. His power is still the same. And he's able to do it again for you, whatever you have need of. Physical, spiritual, spiritual emotional, financial, whatever you have need of. So, I want to look at two elements here when it comes to this verses 3 through 5 we've just looked at. The festivity of it, like we just talked about, Disneyland Parade, the festivity of the praise, joyous air to these verses. Worship is not to be a somber, formal exercise devoid of joy. Yes, we need to be reverent as it is fitting in the presence of a holy God. Of course, there's a place for soberness and when we confess our sins and think of the Lord's death. But God also wants his people to celebrate his goodness. After all, we're not at God's funeral. He's risen. I'd like to stop right there and preach for a while. They didn't even have a funeral for Jesus. And he didn't need one. He already said, I'm only going to be in there for three days three nights and I'm coming out that's why he had a borrowed tomb he knew he wasn't going to be there very long our voices, instruments and faces should reflect that we're enjoying God and his bountiful provision for us in Jesus and I might just stop here and say I believe there's a scripture in the Bible that talks about how that the Lord rejoices over us he dances over us as we praise him you can't see it with your natural eye but he's pirouetting he's spinning and dancing over his church and over his people with great joy as we with the joy that he's given us praise and worship him isn't that wonderful that we can actually cause the Lord to rejoice over us and dance over us powerful God also wants his people to celebrate his goodness. I read of a man who came to Christ from a non-religious background, so he didn't know all of our Christian uh, ease or our Christian jargon. And when he was baptized, he came up out of the water, clapping his hands for joy, shouting, hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. <laughs> well, he was excited about God. 
He'd never been around Christians that long or that much, and he didn't know when you come up out of a water baptism that most people, uh, especially in Pentecostalism, they'll say, praise the Lord, or hallelujah, or thank you, Jesus. But he'd come up shouting, hot dog, hot dog, hot dog. <laughs> and I think the Lord just smiled down on him and said, that's all right, son. You're a new creation in me. Just praise me however you know you can. <laughs> At this point, you may be saying, now, wait a minute, Pastor Jim. That's not my personality. I'm a quiet, reserved kind of person. I am sanctified and petrified. I'm quiet, I'm reserved. Oh, oh is, that, is that the case? Really? Let me, let me challenge you on that, especially if you're, if you're a football fan or really any kind of sports will do. But let's say it's Super Bowl Sunday, your favorite team's behind, the five, by, behind by five points. In the final seconds of the game, you're there in your lazy boy at home, you know, popcorn, soda, whatever you like. On the last play of the game, the quarterback for your team drops back and throws a long pass. The end grabs the pass, outruns the defense, and steps into the end zone to give your team a one-point victory at the Super Bowl. How quiet and reserved are you at that moment? Just saying. You see, we have all things that get us excited. We, we just happen to get excited about trivial things instead of crucial things sometimes. Let's stick with the football analogy for a minute. Praise is a natural response to a tremendous play. When you see a spectacular play, it's not only natural but even necessary to fully uh, enjoy the game, to shout, wow, did you see that catch? You want to share the excitement with someone else who loves the game. Praise is both a natural and necessary response to fully appreciate the object being praised. It needs to be expressed. But what if your wife, like mine, does not care a thing about football? And you shout, wow, did you see that play, honey? Who cares anyway, she says. Who cares? I don't care. You think to yourself, she doesn't love the game. Not like me. But if you love the game, you get excited about it and share it with somebody else that loves it. Man, it's just contagious, the excitement, the praise spreads. If you love the Lord, you're going to get Excited about gathering with his people to praise his name. If you come to church with no preparation, hassled about some problem, or glancing constantly at your watch and thinking, let's get this show over so I can get on with the day's activities, you'll never praise God like you should. And probably you'll leave church the same way you came. If you were oppressed or heavy hearted or whatever's going on if you don't get in and really praise God and let God be God in your life and, and heed the word that's being preached and come to the altar and turn it loose and give it to the Lord cast all your cares on him you're probably going to leave the same way you came but you know what? God doesn't want us to leave the same way we come he wants us to leave different he wants us to leave changed the second element in worship not only is there festivity but also fervency you've got to be all there you must focus your mind on God. You must concentrate on the significance of the songs of, uh, and the words of Scripture. You know, we're, we've all been guilty at times. Maybe come to church tired or something heavy on our heart. And, 
and we would actually sing, but we really wasn't paying attention to the words we were saying. Whether it was a hymn, and the hymn was speaking to us about what God has already done or what God's going to do, or the coming of the Lord, the catching away of the church, or all of that. We were just singing the songs as they led, and we didn't really grasp it. We didn't concentrate on it fully. Or a praise and worship time, we were singing unto Jesus, singing praises unto the Lord, not asking a thing, but just praising for who He is and what He's done and what He's going to do and just praising. But we were just saying the words without concentrating on what we were saying directly to Him. So therefore, we can miss out by not uh, concentrating and being uh, fervent. We have to shake off apathy in worship as a soul-killing sin. You must make praise your priority and dedicate your whole being to the process. This is an interesting illustration. When the billionaire Howard Hughes died, the public relations director of his Summa Corporation asked the casinos in Las Vegas where Hughes had vast holdings for a moment, one minute of silence out of respect for Hughes. The message went out over the public address systems and the normally noisy casinos fell dead silent. Housewives stood uncomfortably clutching their paper cups of coins at the slot machines. The blackjack games paused. The crap table Stick men cradled the dice in the crooks of their wooden wands. Then a pit boss looked at his watch, leaned forward, and whispered to the stick man, Okay, roll the dice. He's had his minute. Think about that just a minute. He's had his minute. That's from our Daily Bread 1977, entitled Some Respect. I can't help but wonder if that isn't the way we often view worship. Okay, let's give God his hour. I hope not. So we can get on with the things we'd really rather be doing. But we ought to come with the fervency and expectancy as if Jesus himself were going to be present because he is here by his Spirit. He is here by His Spirit. He deserves our giving Him everything we've got in worship. But the psalmist would not only have us understand the where, the why, and the how praise, but also lastly, also lastly, He wants us to understand the who of praise. And that is everything that breathes. He said in verse 6, Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. See it on the screen. Would you read it with me together? Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Are you breathing tonight? I used to preach on this, Psalm 150, and I would have people turn and pinch their neighbor on the arm. I said, now don't do it to where you're going to draw blood, but just pinch them a little on the arm. And if they go ouch or they flinch a little bit, they're okay. But if not, then we better call 911. You know? I was getting ready to preach in a revival one time, and there was one particular senior adult gentleman that loved to praise God. 
I mean, he'd come into church 45 minutes before the service was to start. He would go up and get a flag. and He'd begin to walk around the altar and wave that flag. Music would be playing, and he was worshiping God. And people that knew him really well knew that he was up in years some and knew he wasn't in the best health. And he said to some people, he said, you know, when I die, when the Lord's ready to take me home, I would love nothing more than to be praising God in church and just go out to meet him there. And I'm getting ready to preach this night. And I'm up on the platform, and church has started now, and he's still fervently, passionately praising God, letting it all out, letting everything that's within him out to the Lord. And I'm worshiping God way over here, and they're way over there, and there's people gathered in the altar praising God, and all of a sudden, there's more of a commotion, and I, I, I couldn't see exactly what was going on, so I leaned over closer to the, uh, the side of the uh, platform, and I looked over there, and the pastor of the church was over there, and his wife was over there. Some people we knew that were in the medical field were over there, and he was turning blue. He was on the floor, and he had uh, began to turn blue. And so they called 911. The paramedics came in. At that time, I was ushering everybody to the gymnasium or to the uh, other room that they had available to go to. And we went over there to pray uh, for, the, for the gentleman and, and to give everybody room that needed to work over there. And he died. He went home to be with the Lord. God granted his, his desire of his heart to just go to meet him in a time of praise and worship. So... Who should praise? Everything that breathes, everything that has breath. The only qualification for praising God is that you breathe. I don't think that disqualifies anybody here. Amen. Pinch that person and see. Well, the most striking feature of this psalm is the fact that in six short verses we are commanded, not asked, but we're commanded, to praise God no less than 13 times. In the Hebrew, the greatest number of words between any two hallelujahs is four words, and that only one time. In every other instance, there are just two words between one hallelujah and the next. And from Spurgeon, Spurgeon's writing, the treasury of David said every third word is a command to praise God in Hebrew. The fact that God can command us to praise him means that praise is not just a feeling based upon our mood or circumstances. Praise is in part a feeling, but it is not at its heart a feeling. Let me say that again. Praise in part is a feeling, but it's not at its heart a feeling. Praise is a matter of obedience to our great God. It stems from deliberately focusing on Him. It is the result of being willfully God-centered in your thinking. If you are breathing, praising God is not an option for the believer. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. And that's why throughout this, these five books of the Psalms that it's been mentioned over and over, that it teaches us throughout these scriptures how we God followers should feel, think, and act. So how am I going to feel, think, and act toward God and his word when he says that I'm not asking you to praise me. 
I'm telling you, you need to praise me. It's a command. Praise me. Let everything that hath breath, please praise the Lord. No. Let everything that hath breath, praise ye the Lord. Now close with this. Oh, one more thing. The Jews worshipped with songs written over a period, listen now, of 700 years. They were singing songs that were hundreds of years old and praising and magnifying God. And yet we call a 200-year-old hymn old-fashioned. You figure? Well, I want you to see this next slide. Psalm 150 is embroidered in Hebrew on David's tomb. The psalmist of all the psalmists here, of all the ones that penned the 150, the top 150, the chief one that we always think about the most is the psalmist David. And even among those who were anonymous, who knows, maybe, maybe he wrote some of those. Maybe, maybe he wrote Psalms 150. We don't know. It, it would sure fit his style. It would sure fit his life for him to write Psalm 150. But, you know, whether he did or whether he didn't, it was divinely inspired and written by someone that loved God and loved to worship God and knew how by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit breathed upon the men of old to pin the Scriptures, he knew how to pin what God was giving him to say of how we should praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Thus, the message of Psalms, and especially Psalm 150, is that God's people should be caught up with praising him through individual praise and corporate praise. Would you stand tonight? And like we've been doing just for just a couple of minutes, would you come down to the front if you're able? Come down to the front if you're able. And we're just going to close this way tonight by just praising God for a minute or two. When you get here, just raise your hands if you're able. That's one way we praise God with lifted hands. And then just let your voices be heard to the Lord. You're not talking to me. You're not talking to the person next to you, but let's talk to God together. Father, tonight I just want to praise you. I just want to glorify you. I just want to magnify you. You, Lord, are worthy of Jim Austin's praise. You, Lord, are worthy of everyone that is here tonight, worthy of their praise of adoration, not only tonight, but tomorrow and tomorrow night, on through to the weekend, to Sunday. You, Lord, are worthy to be praised 24-7, 365 days a year. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we praise you, Lord, tonight, and we magnify you tonight. We, we extol you, we exalt you, and we say you are the Lord Most High. You are Adonai. You're our Lord and Master. You're El Shaddai, the Almighty God. We thank you, Lord, that you're the everlasting Father, and you're the Prince of Peace. We thank you, Lord, that you're the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Alpha and Omega, and everything in between. We thank you, Lord, because of who you are. And if you didn't do another thing for us, you're just simply worthy of praise for all that you are, for who you are. We glorify you tonight, Lord. We magnify you tonight, Jesus. 
And Lord, we want to come into your house every time that we get the opportunity to come together as the body of Christ. We want to come together and worship you and praise you first and foremost. The psalmist even said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. That's the reason we come together is to do that, is to bless you, Lord, to sing the songs, hallelujah, of worship and praise unto you, to pray our prayers together and to have our faith mixed together and to know that we're not in this walk and in this faith journey alone, that no man is an island unto themselves, that uh, my brother and my sister here tonight, we're in this fight together. We're in this race together. We're in this time of praise and worship together. Hallelujah. Help us to always remember that, that we're united together, that we'll be in unity. And while we're in unity, the praises of God will flow from our heart first because it's all about a matter of the heart. It comes from the heart and then out our lips. You've given us a vocal box, a vocal cords that we sing with and that we speak with. So let us use our vocal cords to express how much we praise you, how much we thank you. So God bless you tonight. Thanks for coming. Have a great week and look forward to a great weekend of uh, exciting things and getting together out here at Hazeldale for food and fellowship.